The views expressed on Geeks and Beats are those of the participants alone and do not necessarily reflect the views of their employers. So I managed to make it back from CES without CES cough. I was wondering if you were going to do that because ground zero for the next pandemic is going to be uh, CES because that's where everybody gets sick. Or Vegas in general. Or or Vegas in general. But you have people coming from all over the world, um, unhealthy techie types, people who spend way too much time in closed rooms and in basements, uh, who are suddenly out into the general population, susceptible to all kinds of germs and and pathogens. And then they mixed it up together in the Las Vegas Convention Center. And God knows what kind of petri dish that is. And then, of course, you add in the the whole Vegas thing and geez it just does not sound good no no it doesn't you know my dogs are barking though from all the walking I was doing well how big see I've never been you've been how many years in a row now it's a third straight year we've been down there for uh, the business news network and CTV news Okay, so uh, how big is it? It's so big. Uh, it's actually three buildings. And it's about 2 million square feet of space. They say it's something like 28 baseball or, or 28 football fields. That's the one with the ball, right? Yeah. And um, yeah, and about <laughs> 160,000 people show up, something like 20,000 exhibitors. The funny thing about CES from an exhibitor perspective is that uh, as a news guy, I have to keep reminding myself that this show isn't for the public. It's not for you and me. It's meant for a company that's come up with a widget, a gadget, a doodad, so that they can sell it to Best Buy or Walmart and get it on the store shelves. They don't care about what I think about it. All they care about is what the buyer thinks about it. But isn't there a lot of vaporware there, a lot of products that are on display that never actually make it to market? Not only a lot of vaporware, but a lot of uh, vapor-oriented products as well. The big thing at CES 2014 was uh, e-cigarettes, and this year they came back with a vengeance. Really? Yeah, it was very weird. There was an entire section dedicated to just that whole vaping experience. And then you always had that dude sitting up front, uh, smoking away on, on one of these e-cigs as well, thinking that everybody's looking at him because he's so cool. We were all looking at him, but not because we thought he was so cool. <laughs> exactly. From the headquarters of Geeks and Beats magazine, simulcast on shortwave radio and Citizens Band 14, this is the world's most popular podcast with Alan Cross and Michael Hainsworth, featuring musical guest Sting. The Consumer Electronics Show, which is not called the Consumer Electronics Show, it's just CES to everybody, that's what they would like us to say. It's in the rearview mirror. We'll look at what Mercedes-Benz thinks will be driving in 2030. Captain Kirk, meantime, has plans to drive across America now on a trike that resembles a B-17 bomber. Seattle Seahawks fans were at risk of pushing Vancouver into the Pacific. We have science to back that up. Plus, a Geeks and Beats update on our new way to siphon cash out of your wallet and why Alan is addicted to listening to numbers stations. 4625 kilohertz. <laughs> and now, Alan Cross and Michael Hainsworth. Somebody also told me that there is a, a basement that has all the weird, useless, junky gadgets. Yes, and in year one, we were in that section. 
<laughs> uh, if, if you don't, as a media outlet, get involved quickly enough, the good spaces are, are taken up for the broadcast platforms. Fortunately for us, we managed in uh, years two and three this past year uh, to get ourselves some prime real estate. Uh, last year, we were across from a booth that was probably half the width of the central hall. It's I, I couldn't even tell you how many feet. It was probably 250 feet long. Well, who was that? And it was a Chinese outfit that had made these little dancing robots. And they had blaring away with these little tiny robots. The problem was that for most of the show, they didn't actually have the robots out on display. And so we thought, oh, my God, this is going to be great. These are going to be these massive dancing robots the size of a human. No, they were six inches tall. (laughs) And they weren't back again this year. We didn't see them this year. But what was fascinating, too, was that they clearly spent all of their money on this massive booth with a story and a half high pixel board screen and everything because all of the booth babes who worked there slept in a little room at the back of the booth. No. We couldn't believe it ourselves. We had to keep going up and asking them to turn their music down when we were going live to air and that we would have to go into this little back room and it was just rows and rows of cots and luggage. You're kidding. So they were... They were, they were storing their booth babes in shipping containers. Exactly, yes. Large crates with packing foam. Wow. It was the weirdest thing. Now, I know one thing that you're particularly interested in is, is the connected car. Yes. And this year, I got to sit behind the wheel, as it were, of the Mercedes-Benz Car of the Future. Okay, I saw one of your TV reports and the thing was in the background. It's a pretty futuristic looking concept car. It's a remarkable concept car. They figure that this is what we'll be driving in 2030, fully autonomous. And the designer who I spoke to said it was actually already fully autonomous. It's just the regulations permit that don't permit vehicles like that from being on the road in the first place. But had there been that ability legally, they could have put it out on the road itself. But the neatest thing about it was the recognition that if you are living in a world of a fully autonomous car, what are you going to be doing with yourself while the car is doing all the heavy lifting of the actual driving? So the driver's seat spins around 180 degrees so you can turn and face your passengers. See, that's a bit freaky for me. <laughs> if you're on a, on a train, okay, I understand that. If you're even on an airplane, I understand that. Yeah. But what also about people like me who like to drive, who are never going to give up their autonomy when it comes to driving a car? All right, well, this is 15 years down the road. You're going to be long dead and gone by that point. No, 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 no. I, I, te- I, I intend to be driving until I die, <laughs> which is uh, going to be a while yet. But but still, I mean, what about guys like me who who love cars and, and love the, the sensation of driving? Then you're clearly not going to be buying this car. Well, no, I won't be buying this car, but I'll have to share the roads with them. You will. And that's all well and good. Well, the problem is not going to be necessarily with the technology involving the connected cars, the autonomous driving vehicles. It's going to be morons like me who insist on driving themselves creating a hazard for the very safe autonomous vehicles. That's actually a very interesting point. Until you've got that critical mass where pretty much every single vehicle on the road is autonomous, and when, when we say autonomous, I suppose it's a little misleading as well, because while it will be autonomous from you, the driver, it won't be autonomous against all the other vehicles on the road because they will all be communicating with each other. So they all know where each other is, which is that sort of critical point. 
that you're trying to make, which is that if you, as an idiot driver, start to veer into an, uh, another lane or into oncoming traffic, will that autonomous car know? All right, so the car is going to take over for from from me when things get weird bmw and audi also have autonomous vehicles down there at the ces this, this year and one of the neatest things about the audi one was that they encouraged the media to deliberately try to crash it oh and you couldn't they had these giant foam brick walls you're like hey go for it hit the wall <laughs> and you would gun it and you would get close to it as soon as the vehicle went um i don't think this guy's gonna stop it would stop for you okay pretty nuts uh, well, it is. I mean, there, there's an, um, a video circulating on the internet about a 200-car pileup on I-94 in Michigan during a blizzard. And he, there's a guy in the opposite lane, and he's filming all these vehicles that are just coming out of the snow going bang, 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 bang into each other. It's really terrifying to watch. So if we had some kind of collision avoidance system like you're talking about, you know, that's the kind of thing that, that would be useful. Well, you would avoid that kind of vehicle pileup yeah. for a number of reasons, not the least of which is that you, the vehicle would know not to go too fast, and therefore you'd be sitting behind the wheel frustrated that you weren't going faster, yet everyone would actually get to their destination safely. Sure. And Mercedes-Benz, especially the S-Class, if you look at any Mercedes-Benz S-Class in any given year, that's the bleeding edge of automobile technology. So anything from the S-Class that we see now will filter down to uh, cheaper models over the next couple of years. And collision avoidance is a really big one, and they've been doing that for a while. The sort of wedge technology that they're trying to embed into these vehicles right now, so that at some point you will just come to accept that your car drives for you, is the self-parking feature. We know Toyota has had this for a while. Uh, a few other manufacturers have too, but you have to find the parking spot. BMW uh, had a, a vehicle that they were showing off. Well, actually, they weren't actually showing it off. We went down there to, to, show, to, 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 to report on it and they couldn't actually show us the technology. But the gist of it was, was that last year I told you about the BMW, if you found a spot, you just go, there's my spot, park for me. Now the new technology is you pull up to the shopping mall entrance, get out of your car, and let the car go up and down the aisles looking for a spot for you. See, that would be fine. And then you could retrieve the car when you came out with your parcels? As you come out with your parcels, yeah, they showed an example with a Samsung Gear uh, smartwatch mm. where you just tap the smartwatch and the car finds you. So we're putting valet parkers out of business. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Valley parkers would be out of business in something like this. I, I don't think that you're really going to find that to be the case in the near term. But yeah, five, ten years from now, maybe that's exactly it. Hmm. All right. So your car comes when called. <laughs> Anything else from CES that we should know about? Uh, connected Home was pretty big, but being a huge nerd who's already got a Connected Home, I'm not impressed enough with the technology yet. It's not smart. How about the weirdest thing that you saw? Uh, it was a, a single-wheeled skateboard that a Calgarian who moved to San Francisco designed because he got... Uh, he missed all the snow and the snowboarding. So this was a thing where your left foot was on a, uh, a pressure-sensitive pad, and it was kind of like a segue. It knew how much pressure you were applying, and therefore it knew how fast or slow to go. And that was kind of neat. It took me about 20 minutes to figure out how not to kill myself on it. I saw one, a device for women who want to increase their Kegel muscles. Oh, yeah. It was hooked to a, an iOS app. There was a game on on your phone and every time you wanted your character 
your avatar in the game to jump over something you squeezed. They had uh, personal massagers there, which would synchronize with your smartphone and the beat. Ah. And for some reason, my producer wasn't interested in talking about that on <laughs> national network television. Yeah. You're listening to Geeks and Beats on iTunes, Stitcher, and the Bell Media Radio Network. So one of the neat things about us and our new podcast method of doing business here is that you and I will actually talk through the commercial breaks. So those chumps listening on the radio, they're going to have to sit through the commercials. We'll actually keep on going. What do you think? Oh, so they'll miss this wit. (laughs) Yes, all of this wit. And uh, they'll miss some of the stories. Like, for example, we're talking about the CES. And at the CES this year, the uh, chair of the Federal Communications Commission in the States um, said that he would actually move to regulate the Internet as a utility. And our own uh, Washington bureau chief, Amber Healy, reported on this over the course of the holidays. I'm taking you down, Darth Vader. Bruce. I am your father. Hi, I'm Adam. And I'm Emily. We make funny videos on the internet. But soon, we might not be able to. That's because net neutrality is in jeopardy. Net neutrality is the principle that says that ISPs, you know, these assholes, can't discriminate between different types of traffic. That means that whether you're a bedroom music producer, a couple with an amateur porn site, or just someone with a great startup idea. It's like Dropbox for your food. Great idea. Hope it works out. You get access to the same users as Netflix, Facebook, and Amazon. On the internet, anyone can succeed. But America's ISPs want to set up a pay-for-play system where rich companies pay extra to get to those users first. Very encouraging news, wouldn't you say? Well, I think so. The only thing I'm suspicious of is the guy that's running the FCC now used to be a lobbyist on behalf of the cable companies. Yeah. So there is certainly an element of that. The other thing, too, is something in the neighborhood of 200,000 comments sent to the FCC against the idea of splitting up the Internet so that um, there was a fast lane and a slow lane. Mysteriously, all of those comments disappeared. Hmm. Do you really want the guys responsible for controlling the Internet uh, if they're incapable of keeping on top of to not manage their inbox? Yeah, no. Can't handle. Exactly. Accidentally hit delete all. Yeah. At the CES in, in Vegas, Wheeler said it became obvious that commercially response uh, that commercially reasonable could be interpreted as what is reasonable for ISPs, not as reasonable for consumers or innovators. And that commercially reasonable phrase was a big concern uh, when uh, the U.S. president was calling for strict net neutrality regulations. Some were fearing that this was actually going to take us right down the road of, uh, by and large, bribing companies not bribing them, blackmailing companies into paying extra to ensure that their content made it on the uh, on the Intertron. And the companies that have targets on their back are Netflix and Google. Oh, hey, their commercial's ending. We should probably get From ready. From 395 oh, okay. to 995, every boy wants a Remco toy. Think the internet is cool? Geeksandbeats.com is now available on computers. Read the stories the boys are talking about, stream the latest episode, and get caught up on back issues of the world's most popular podcast. Geeksandbeats.com. Also available on CD-ROM. Time now for Ask Alan Anything. Got a question about music, love, that suspicious rash? Ask Alan Anything. 
call 323-319-NERD. Hello, this is Lawrence calling from Edmonton, your favorite stand-up comic slash listener. Um, since you are a fan of, of the libation, and I don't mean stumbling through an alley, I'm wondering if you would do like a review, like a weekly installment of a review of, say, some sh- shishaka? Is that what you had? No, soju. That's it. Anyways, uh, it would be interesting. I'm a fan of, of scotch and whatnot, of course. So I think that might add some uh, polarity to your situation and your fun and your... Why not? Why not, right? Just an idea. And also, what do you make of Manchester Orchestra? I don't get this band. Why aren't they humongously famous? And why do they suck at the same time? Good day, sirs. Goodbye. Lawrence sounds a little drunk, if you're asking me. Well, what do you think? It's January, it's Edmonton, it's cold, so I don't blame him. (laughs) (laughs) What else is there to do? Well, what do you make of his his suggestion, first of all, that we have a regular segment on scotch or other libations? Well, we could do something. I mean, for example, today, in this glass, I have uh, several ounces of something called Snow Queen, which I believe to be the finest vodka in the universe. It comes from Kazakhstan, of all places. Very hard to get in Canada, if you can get it at all. I bought mine at the duty-free at Heathrow Airport Mm -hmm. uh, a number of months ago and have just put it in the fridge and cracked it open. Um, So I would be happy to be um, a reviewer of of various libations. An active reviewer and participant. As you point out in Kazakhstan, according to Wikipedia anyway, it's produced from organic wheat and artisanal spring water in the foothills of the Himalayas. Oh, it's fantastic. It is re- I'm serious. There are, there are three vodkas that I really, really like. One is Tito's Handmade. The other is something called uh, Reykjavik, which is oddly enough from Iceland. But my all-time favorite is, is Snow Queen, which I first discovered in Moscow about four or five years ago. Uh, at the Ritz-Carlton Hotel near the Kremlin. And it is, if you freeze it, you can't, well, you can't freeze it, but if you get really, really cold, Mm -hmm. this is, it's just divine. And all of a sudden, caviar makes sense. Oh, I see, yes. Oh, yes. I, uh, again, if you're flying overseas, you're going to a duty-free place, and you're looking for um, something to bring home, uh, I highly recommend Snow Queen Vodka, from Kazakhstan, and please, no Borat jokes. Give me a sense, though, as to who this Manchester Orchestra is. I've never heard of these guys, an American indie rock band from Atlanta, Georgia. They've got a, a number of songs that have done well uh, with uh, with the indie crowd. Um, they're not exactly what you would call mainstream in terms of their sound and their presentation. But uh, if you're looking for something a little different... At the end of the day, um, he says that they're not very successful, yet they suck. Well, <laughs> I think that's uh, that's the alcohol talking from, from Edmonton. Um, they're unusual. There are people who love their quirkiness, but then there are people who go, go, wow, this really does stink. If you've got a question for Ask Alan anything, it could be about music. It could be about love. 
It could be about that suspicious rash. It could be about any sort of alcohol. <laughs> Call 323-319-NERD. You, yeah, you should see uh, what I've got underneath the uh, the coffee maker. I've got this giant cabinet filled with all kinds of exotic alcohol, from absinthe to Zima. <laughs> yes, I have a bottle of Zima. From A to Z. Yep. Star Trek meets chips. Bill Shatner is going to drive across America on a trike? Well, this isn't just any trike. It's a it's a real it's a V8 steampunk trike. This is quite the toy. Well, this thing looks like something like Captain America would ride. It it does look like something that was made as a prop. Yeah, it does. It looks like the it, it's sort of like the bat scooter. Right. If the Batmobile was a tricycle. Yeah, and more elongated. I, I, the Shatler really likes motorcycles. He's got a Harley Davidson that uh, he drives around L.A. You know, I'll tell you what, he's uh, going to be on the show in a couple of weeks. He's got a new book coming out. Yep. And we're going to talk to him about it, and uh, we'll bring up the trike, and we'll get to the bottom of this whole thing. Yeah. Uh, apparently, he usually drives a 2002 Aston Martin DB7 Vantage and will be riding from Chicago to Los Angeles on the Rivet, which is a custom-made trike. Wait, wait, wait. He drives a DB7? What year? Uh, 2002, according to the Daily Fail. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. All right. Yeah, okay. He's, he's, no, no, he's got a better car than that. I know, he's got a Lexus. He's got a really high-end Lexus. I've been in it. All right. All right. Rub it in. He might have a DB7, too, of course. He's, I, then he's got his Harley. I'm sure he's got a few things. Yeah. The Rivet is a custom-made uh, trike help design. He says it was inspired by uh, the aircraft wing of the B-17 bomber saying, quote, the finest line I can ever remember seeing was on a wing. Well, we do remember that uh, Twilight Zone episode where he saw a bunch of things on a wing. Oh, that is one of my all-time favorite episodes of the Twilight Zone, and I cannot get on a plane and look out the window at the wing without thinking of William Shatner trying not to look at that thing looking back at him. Right. We're not talking about John Lithgow in the Twilight Zone movie. We're talking about William Shatner in the original Twilight Zone story. I want to say 63 or 64. You look it up while I explain the backstory behind that one, which the plot line was a guy who doesn't like to get... Uh, on a plane in the first place, doesn't like flying, claims he sees this gremlin-like creature on the wing eating away at it, and every time somebody looks out the window, nobody sees it but him. And it isn't until they land and they carry him away to the funny farm that they look up at the wing and they see the cowling of the engine has been eaten away. And in fact, yes, something was out there. Nightmare at 20,000 feet, originally aired October 11th, 1963. Well, he's going to be at a decidedly lower altitude between Chicago and L.A. with this uh, vehicle that he's going to be uh, f uh, flying or driving uh, that uh, the Illinois company American Wrench, apparently a motorcycle fabrication firm, which uh, provides frames to Orange County choppers, among others, has uh, helped, helped him build. He's always busy. He's always doing something. He's going to turn 84 on March the 23rd. Second, yeah. So we're going to be speaking to him in February. Yes, we are. I'm going to. He's going to give me a call, and we're going to talk about this book. We'll talk about the motorcycle, and we'll talk about apparently his uh, role in the upcoming Star Trek movie. Ooh, he's buried the hatchet. Yes, with J.J. Abrams. Apparently, apparently, he's got a uh, something in there. I would rather have seen him in Star Wars. Wouldn't that? No, have been it'll never happen. Oh, come on. No. <laughs> one of the craptastic mugs of the world's most popular podcast and support the show. You too can use the power of science to hold liquids, both hot or cold. Visit geeksandbeats.com today. Time now for a Geeks and Beats update. London, Bangkok, New York, 
Cincinnati. From the worldwide headquarters of Geeks and Beats magazine, this is a GNB News Update. So we've uh, changed things up a, a little bit as far as the begging for money is concerned. <laughs> yeah, crowdsourcing, otherwise known as begging. Yes, crowdfunding is the new big thing, and so we're trying to uh, get in on that game uh, with a Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com. We figured instead of um, putting advertisements in the show, which of course, if you're listening to us on the Bell Media Radio Network, you're already listening to commercials, so sorry, pal. But if you're not, if you are listening via iTunes or Stitcher, we don't want to be adding commercials and all that kind of nonsense to help pay for this ridiculous show we've got. Uh, so Patreon is something that I actually learned about through uh, Jesse Brown and his Canada Land podcast. Not like we're trying to bring down the establishment or anything ourselves. No, no, that's 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 true. I mean, we're just looking for ways to raise a little bit of money because this program costs us money to make. So the idea is, is that if you pledge one dollar per episode, uh, we will make you an intern on the show. It's the world's worst intern program. You pay us. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. We'll mention you on the show. You also get an episode, the episode earlier than those who didn't open up their wallet. So we'll send it off to you directly. If you were to pledge 25 bucks or more per episode, you're officially a co-producer of the world's most popular podcast. We'll actually talk about you. We'll get you the album art for each episode so you can print it off and uh, hang it in your parents' basement. We'll vouch for your resume or your LinkedIn profile file and again you get the episode a day before everybody else very nice i think it's a great deal now here's where it gets a little bit sticky if it's a hundred bucks or more per episode that you're willing to support the show with you become a patron in residence okay now that requires us to sign an autographed gmb swag pack now i haven't figured out what the swag pack should contain well it's got to have a travel mug definitely has to have the miracle travel mug of traveling Maybe a, a, a T-shirt as well that indicates you are, in fact, more important than everyone else. By the way, I did get an email the other day from somebody who says, who corroborates my uh, assertion that this is the greatest travel mug of all time. The woman actually has to open up the travel mug to allow the liquid to cool so she can actually drink her coffee. We have one listener who is well above the frost line. He uh, sent us a screenshot of the minus 23 degrees, minus 50 with the wind chill. And he said, I wonder if a miracle travel mug will work there. So maybe we should just send him one. Damn right it will. Absolutely. Send them one, see what happens. That's like cold weather testing for aircraft and automobiles. Exactly. If you pledge 500 bucks per episode, you are actually a promoter of the big show, and we will, in fact, kiss your ass <laughs> on the show with an advertisement written by you, but largely ad-libbed by us so that it doesn't actually sound like a commercial. Yeah, this is true. Now, with the $500, you don't have to go $500 for every episode in perpetuity. It can be a one-time gift, right? And so this is how it all comes down, is that if we don't put an episode out... We don't ding you for the $1.25, the 100 whatever it is. It's only every time we put out an actual episode. And you can pull that back at any time. You can cancel your subscription, as it were, to this sort of thing. This is basically the gym model. We, we are trying to co-opt the, uh, I signed up for a gym membership and then forgot to cancel it, and therefore <laughs> I owe a bajillion dollars to the gym. Yeah, it's, it's kind of like all those uh, things that I've signed up for, like my Norton antiviruses. Exactly. I keep getting ding for antivirus subscription renewals on computers that are no longer active. And I can't remember which computers are active, so I don't know which subscriptions to cancel. A buck 
an episode is basically four per month, which doesn't even get you a cup of joe at a Starbucks. Bottom line is we need some money um, because, again, this is costing us <laughs> a fair amount of cash to just keep this program running. It's starting to sound like Goldie from yeah, uh, PBS know, there in the States. And just because we're in all these big radio stations across the country, none of these radio stations actually pay us. That's a very important point. They are getting this totally free of charge just so that we get the exposure in a desperate attempt to beg you for a dollar. Yeah. It's not a very good business model. A Geeks and Beats update. Bono may never play guitar again. We reported about this over the course of the holidays. I was chasing down the days of fear. Chasing down a dream before it disappeared. I was aching to be somewhere near your voice. Was yeah, he, uh, his moneymaker, which is his left hand, had a very bad time after that... Um, bicycle accident that high-speed bicycle accident back in november he uh, has 18 screws in his in his arm he uh when he when he was taken to the hospital part of his uh part of the bone of one sh- one, one arm was sticking out through his leather jacket uh, he's got some titanium plates in there it's it's it was a really bad accident but those are some argue though that that his moneymaker isn't his left hand, his guitar-playing hand. No, no, this is what Dave Mustaine of, of Megadeth told me about uh, his left hand. He actually was in rehab one time, and he fell asleep on his left hand, and he uh, on his left arm, and he ended up uh, compressing a nerve in that arm, and he lost uh, his ability to, to form chords. He lost the ability to be able to do anything with his left hand. Yeah, but Bono's a singer. No, no, but he called his left hand the moneymaker, because that's the, that's the one that makes all the great chords. So, but and Bono, you know, if you've gone to see you two in concert, you've seen him strap on a guitar a couple of times, but uh, you know that's not his thing. Uh, the guy that really is 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 the guitarist, the uh, the, the the musical mastermind behind you two is is the Edge. So it's no great loss if you know to you two if somebody if he's not able to play the guitar anymore. His thing is lyrics and and singing. Um, and frankly, the reason he doesn't play guitar is because back in 1976, when the band first got together, he was offered the job of lead singer on the proviso that he never, ever picked up another guitar. So it's not such a bad thing. <laughs> it's like that uh, quote attributed to the Beatles uh, when John Lennon was asked, is Ringo Starr the best drummer in the world? His response was, Ringo Starr isn't even the best drummer in the Beatles. And I'm going to defend Ringo here because no matter how bad a day Ringo may have anywhere in the world, at the end of that day, he was still a Beatle. And that trumps absolutely everything. <laughs> back to back to Bono. It doesn't matter if he can't play the guitar. It doesn't matter if he's a lousy guitar player. At the end of the day, he is the singer in the biggest ex- rock and roll band on the planet. So somebody actually, some, some uh, a newscaster actually asked me when I was interviewed about this. He said, is this the end of you two? And no, not even close. It's going to change the way he probably comes up with melodies for some of the songs that the Edges come up with. But beyond that, no. Meantime, we uh, had Elvis celebrate his 80th birthday because I've been in Vegas this week, trust me. Elvis is alive and well and flipping burgers on the strip. Uh, in Vegas. One of the interesting things about this was uh, they held an auction on January the 8th, which would have been Elvis's 80th birthday. 
And one of the things that they sold in that auction was an acetate. Back in 1953, Elvis stopped at Sun Studios to record a couple of songs that would be recorded directly to an acetate, uh, which is a cheap 78, a very fragile thing, that he was going to give to his mother. And it cost him $4 to record these two songs, which is about $35 in today's money. How much did he? How much did we get for it? When it was done, he went over to his friend Ed's place, who had a turntable. They played it. He didn't take it home because he didn't have a turntable himself. And Ed managed to hang on to it all these years. It sold at auction for $300,000. And when you think about it, this is like the Ur record for rock and roll because Sam Phillips heard Elvis Presley or heard about Elvis Presley singing this song, signed him to Sun Records. He became Elvis Presley the king and rock and roll was born. The most streamed Elvis track globally, Suspicious Minds, the country with the biggest Elvis fan, Chile. Yeah, I found that rather interesting. Canada's nowhere on that list. Nope, South America seems to be uh, Elvis land these days. Maybe that's where he's living. And the far north, Netherlands, Iceland, Switzerland. They're huge into the Elvis. Iceland, I mean, there's what, 320,000 people that live in Iceland? And they're one of the top Elvis consumers on the planet? All right, we're hitting a commercial break. Time for a little less conversation. Fine, move on. A little more action, please. If you're like me, and I know I am, you like beats and vaguely tolerate geeks. So you might as well friend us on Facebook. Geeksandbeats.com slash contact and click the like button. Or search for us on Facebook. You'll validate our existence, see the stories before everyone else, and bring us one step closer to achieving world peace. You're listening to Geeks and Beats on iTunes, Stitcher, and the Bell Media Radio Network. Music and earthquakes. There's a connection? Yeah, there is. There are at least two situations, two instances where uh, a a band's performance was either mistaken for an earthquake or may have sent off an earthquake. One was a madness show in uh, the UK back in the 80s, and the other was a couple of years ago, 2011, in New Zealand when the Foo Fighters played a show uh, in Auckland, and it got very, very loud, and uh, it apparently triggered some sort of seismic event. But what was uh, interesting this uh, past weekend is that they set up three seismic detectors uh, in the stadium where the Seattle Seahawks play because their crowd is considered to be the loudest crowd in the NFL. And there were concerns, or at least some interest, as to whether or not this kind of noise could set off some sort of tectonic event. And so they, they put they put three um, sensors within the stadium and you could actually monitor them in real time to see what was going on. And it was interesting, doubly interesting, because uh, there have been an unusual number of earthquakes off Vancouver Island and northwest of Seattle over the past few months. Some people are kind of worried that this may be a. Uh, 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 precursor to some kind of big one in that part of the Pacific. So it would have been interesting. Nothing happened, of course, but it would have been interesting if the football game had set off a seismic event that caused Vancouver Island to fall into the Pacific. We get 50,000 fans jumping up and down all at once. 67,000. 67,000? Mm-hmm. I, I guess that's probably the rowdiest. I, I don't know a, a thing about football. I don't even know how many innings there are in a game. Oh, dear. But that sounds like an awful lot of people to me. Well, make. again, Seattle has this reputation of being extremely loud. Their 12th man, as they say, is... Uh, what does that mean? 
Okay, fine. There were 11 people on the field per team in a football game. The 12th man is allegedly the home crowd. Got it? Oh, sorry. Yeah. Thank you. So uh, <laughs> it didn't happen, but it was it was fun. I was actually sitting with my computer open watching the football game, watching the seismic detectors go up and down with the place. It was it was kind of cool to, to watch. Quick shake is what they're talking about here. It, yeah, quick shake. Yeah. And so if you, you Google the quick shake, it'll show you not only the Seahawks, but it looks like it'll show you because it's the Pacific Northwest a seismic network it'll show you anything tied to seismology in that part of the world yeah and you know what there are some people who are saying that the west coast is is long overdue for something really catastrophic what would you say to someone who told you they still steal music today you're an idiot the reason you're an idiot is because you can get access to 25 million songs for free or very close to it using any kind of streaming music service. Pay $9.99 a month and you have access to more music than you could ever afford. Everything is virus-free, high quality, uh, properly tagged and all the rest of it. And again, if you want to um, have these tracks resident on your device, well, that's what you get with it. And as long as you keep paying your $9.99 a month, you will be absolutely you will have more music than you know what to do with. But back up then. Exactly. $9.99 a month. Uh, free. And, and I'm not advocating this, but I'm pointing out that the real reason why people steal versus buy is they don't want to spend the money. You just told us that for 10 bucks a month, which is $120 a year, you can get all the music you want, whereas for $0 a month, you can steal all the music you want. How, how do you convince people to go legit? Well, what's your, what's your time worth? I mean, you have to find the torrents, you have to seed some torrents, you have to uh, make sure that uh, you you uh, everything is virus-free, you have to make sure that everything is tagged properly, then you have to create the playlist. Why bother? And now as a Canadian, you have to worry about getting a knock on the door. Uh-huh. There, may, maybe that's the way to convince people to stop stealing. You have. You will get an email from your ISP saying, hey, we suspect you of trafficking in uh, stolen internet material. Are you downloading stuff that you should not be downloading? Uh, just let, we don't know what you're doing, but we have noticed some suspicious activity on your on your account, and we have to keep a record of the suspicious activity just in case anybody wants to press charges. The thing that concerns me about that is that it's a third-party company which is brought together by the Recording Industry Association and uh, the Hollywood movie makers themselves. They've gotten together. They're monitoring the Internet independent of law enforcement, and now they're firing off uh, messages, emails, notifications to your Internet service provider saying, I think this IP address, again, doesn't know it's you, just knows this address. I think this address is stealing something off the internet. And then your ISP goes through, figures out if that IP address is tied to your computer and sends you off the warning. I'm not quite sure I'm comfortable with Hollywood acting as the cop. Oh, I'm not comfortable with it at all. I work a lot out of my house, and I send lots of files and receive lots of files that uh, could be misconstrued as me torrenting some you know, movies or TV shows. It's not the case. Well, over the course of the production of this show, I will have stolen a few things off the internet to play them on the show, but within a very specific window, we have something called fair use in this country where I can play 29.9 seconds of 
anything so long as it has an educational value to what it is we're talking about on this show. But this American company that's firing off notifications left, right, and center doesn't know what I'm doing with this information. And you get genuine content creators who will ultimately end up paying for product, realizing that it's easier to steal it at the beginning while the um, underlings go through in the back office through the proper channels to actually purchase the content. Uh, they're going to get uh, notifications as well. It seems very messy. Yeah, it, it is messy. Citizen Canada lawyer Ashley Freeze explains it this way. Canada definitely does have fair use, as does uh, the states. The states has taken a little bit more of an um, umbrella approach to it. They're a little broader in their protection of fair use. Canada has been a little bit more specific. Uh, in Canada, fair use only deals with... Um, criticism, news reporting, and private study. The U.S. has a much broader sort of scope. But what's interesting is that fair, uh, in terms of fair use, is not defined in the Canadian Copyright Act. There's been uh, a pretty significant decision in copyright law that deals with what, what is fair, what constitutes fair. You jump to case law on that. So there's a six-part test, six-part consideration on what FAIR means in Canada. And there are a bunch of loopholes, especially since some of these American companies uh, with under current Canadian laws are sending people um, directly messages saying, hey, we'll settle this for X amount of dollars. Right. So, Which should not be done. I mean, they don't have the authority to do Exactly. That. So you're, you're in a situation where you could very well get a notification saying that you owe somebody tens of thousands of dollars uh, and uh, people are scared to death they're, they're being blackmailed into it by and large uh, through their lack of information yeah it's 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 ransomware ransomware uh, so the question becomes does this really make a, a, a wit a difference as far as curtailing piracy whether it be music or, or video or what have you well we'll see i i you know something has to be done and uh the, again there is a loophole in this this the, the current law um, so if you get something from somebody in the U.S. saying that they will settle a case um, for a certain amount of, sort of, for a certain dollar figure, ignore it. Don't do anything. So let's maintain this whole um, conspiracy theory tinfoil hat world here because you've been begging me for months now to talk about numbers stations. Yes. Yes, number stations are these weird shortwave stations that uh, send out some weird broadcasts. Like there's the Lincolnshire Poacher, for example. And we think that they're spies. They're used to send messages to spies. And one of the more interesting ones, along with the Lincolnshire Poacher, is something called UVB-76, which seems to be coming from somewhere in um, Russia, in the western part of Russia. All we hear is a bunch of buzzing, and then every couple of months, uh, a thickly accented Russian voice comes out and says, UVB-76, and then a series of numbers and code words, and then it begins to buzz all over again. We seem to think that this is some kind of... Um, Cold War era style 
warning to military today or, or communication to military installations across uh, the Soviet Union or Russia. So, Did you um, ever see the TV show The Americans? No, I haven't watched it. I'm going to have to binge watch that soon. The president was greeted by veteran Soviet to offer condolences on the death of Leonid Brezhnev. The operation is what's crucial because what we do is for the good of the many. Don't let your conscience get us killed. If you tell her now, it will all blow up. But at least she'll know who she is. Never move you make. Never value I need names. People working in the CIA. I've got them. Wait. They should grab her, set up a roadblock, pull her over before it's too late. Excuse me, ma'am. Yeah, binge watch it. It's coming back in April. And as we understand it from a recent article I read, uh, the CIA has the ability to vet every single episode of that show because a former CIA operative is a consultant on it. So the only way he would consult is if the scripts went through the CIA hands. And at one point, number stations factor into the show itself. Oh, cool. And so these Russians are tuning in to these frequencies and writing down these numbers and converting them into code. Nice. I thought we all sort of figured this was exactly what it was all about. Well, it probably is, but you know, we still want to know what it is. You know, this is one of the few clandestine... Uh, communications vehicles that we can listen in on and it's just fun <laughs> for all you know it's a lunch order if, for all we know somebody's calling out for pizza catch all new episodes of geeks and beats wednesdays on itunes and watch for geeks and beats magazine on a newsstand near you to be part of next week's show call area code 323-319 nerd Follow the stories on Twitter or Facebook and get your dose of Geeks and Beats anytime at geeksandbeats.com. The Geeks and Beats podcast would like to thank the National Science Foundation.